Options activity has altered the investment landscape. Get an edge on this massive flow of funds with Tier 1 Alpha's Market Situation Report brought to you by Hedgeye. A daily newsletter of the latest moves in the options market and a weekly webcast featuring myself, Mike Green of Simplify Asset Management, and Tier 1 Alpha's Craig Peterson and David Pegler. Go to hedgeye.com research for more information. everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. This is Season 3, Episode 19. My name is Ami Joseph. I'm the Sector Head for Technology here at Hedgeye. Uh, with me today, as always, is Joseph Batesblit, Director of Technology at Hedgeye. Andrew Friedman and Felix Wang are not available today. Um, however, we have a special guest today, Daniel Biolsi, the Sector Head for Consumables. And uh, and for consumer staples, um, now the series that we're, we've been doing over the last two months is an introduction to different sectors for the uninitiated. And so today, Daniel, we're calling on you to help walk us through. Pretend that we are you know newly minted institutional investors in your sector. And we don't know anything about your sector. Um, so this is like the panic phone call. Like, uh, you know, it's 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 whatever day that I just get this assignment and I got to go figure this all out. And I don't even know anything about the sector. So let's start from the basics um, and, and attack this however you want to attack it. But like, you know, one of the ways we've asked this is top five most important companies in the space or uh, most important trends affecting the space or the key things that when you discover them in one of these companies makes you excited on the long side or vice versa, things that you see that get you worried and kind of like identify, you know, things that could be, you know, good shorts. Um, and so kind of like that's sort of like a introductory category, but you could take this, you know, opening however you want to take it. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I mean, yes. Uh, where to start? So I, I guess if you were calling me in a panic, the first thing I would say is to relax. It's consumer staples. So the the good thing is that they tend to be, you know, just steadier companies. These are not, there's a big distinction between the discretionary space and the, the consumer staple space, right? They're, these companies are much, uh, you know, I think the, the most people start with the, this you know, to start with um, GDP, you know, when, when or consumer spending when thinking about growth rates, not, you know, um, you know what, you know, compared to like consumer discretionary, where it, that wouldn't work at all, right? So it's uh, you're looking at for most part low single digit to to mid single digit, you know, revenue growth, right? So, you know, your your projections are are going to be a lot steadier. Your your modeling even when you're off, isn't going to look as dramatic. You know what I mean? If it, if you're looking for mid single digits and then you low single digits, that's, that's the margin between, you know, winning and losing. Right. So, but it's, it's hardly a disaster as opposed to, you know, a discretionary company where, uh, you know, you can overnight, you know, be sort of out of business in, in two years. You know what I mean? So it's, um, no reason to panic when you're looking at consumer staples, but um, so where would I start? I, I think where I start, uh, let's let's just start with the longs. I, I think um, in consumer staples that might be a little bit easier because I think shorts are generally sort of like the, the reverse. 
But for my longs, I start with secular growth. You know, what 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 company or what subcategory in consumer staples, you know, has secular growth trends that you you know feel are tailwinds that you want to invest in. You know, whether that's you know, caffeine is one for me. You know, the the increasing consumption of caffeine uh, because most most categories don't have uh, you know very visible secular growth drivers. You know. Uh, you know, besides population growth, that's not sort of good enough, you know, in terms of uh, secular growth. So that's that's where I would start. You know, pick pick a category in food or beverages or household products where you think you have uh, a secular growth, and then maybe then go to a company that you think is is maybe winning share right in that sort of category. So if, if you picked caffeine, maybe it, you know, for me, it's energy drinks. So then, then that's sort of step two. This is like a top-down way to look at it, right? If, if you were coming to me like this, most most people don't sort of come with a mandate like that. But if if you were, I think that's where I'd start. You know, you have your what what sort of some sector you want to bet on, and then if if it's gaining share, you know, so we'll do energy drinks in this example. And then, you know, within energy drinks, what are you looking at? Is it, is it Monster or, or Celsius? These are companies on, on my long list, you know, and, and, and then that we can evaluate, is it a good investment? But I think that's, that's where I would start. So in that starting point, I already have some questions before we get to shorts or we or get the list of companies or whatever it is. But um, I guess my first question is um, – on the secular growers, on like the subsector names, like what kind of growth do they do on a, do they report on an annual basis? And is there like, is there a lot of M&A involved or is this mostly like organic secular growth? So there's a lot of uh, M&A in the sector. So the one thing, I guess, you know, stepping back a bit on consumer staples, you know, different than discretionary is in consumer staples. If you look at the subcategories, you know, when I'm talking about subcategories, it would be instead of looking at all of food, looking at, let's say, cereal or frozen food or, you know, breads or pot, things like that. Right. So subcategories tends to be dominated by two companies. Right. And then, then you have your private label as your number three in terms of share. And then you have everyone sort of battling it out for, you know, fourth place or, or just to be in there. And what happens is the two, one of the two big guys tends to buy anything, you know, sort of up and coming within that space to go for growth because growth unit growth is hard to come by in, in my space. And that's generally been the case for the last uh, 10 years, especially with, um, you know, I think one of the headwinds for the space, you know, the last you know, 10, 15 years is, is just the, the discount grocery taking share. So whether that's Walmart or, you know, these newer companies like, or the dollar stores or the newer companies like Lionel and all the, the, uh, over time, um, what wins in grocery is, you know, having the lower prices or right? so it could also be warehouse clubs, right? So what tends to win is, is the lower prices, what sort of an aberration is, um, you know, the higher end, like a Whole Foods. So, you know, there's only, there's only so much, uh, like that. Whereas as opposed to, uh, you know, discretionary where you seem to hear about so many Whole Foods type brands, right? Like uh, the higher end brands, right? That they seem to be winning discretionary. In staples, the, the market size is much smaller. So what tends to win are the, the bigger companies who might go ahead and buy one of these uh, new companies. So, you know, the latest one we had, for example, was Sobos Brands. Don't know if you've heard of it. They have that Rayo sauce. So uh, Conagra, uh, um, Campbell actually went out and bought them and, and they can 
you know, use their distribution and, and create a lot of synergies and growth because they already have uh, the manufacturing for the new categories and then uh, the distribution into the retailer. So that's what tends to happen. And it tends to be a two horse race plus private label. So if you can create something new, kind of like, you know, Annie's, then you get bought. Um, if you know Annie's cheese, mac and cheese, you get bought by one of the big guys. When the big guys are buying like an Annie's or somebody like that, is it cover your ass revenue? Like meaning like I'm going to miss the quarter and therefore I'm putting in some revenue? Or is it literally like it's too small to really move the needle on revenue? It's really just what you said, the vision of I'm going to scale these guys up from 50 million a quarter of revenue to 500 million and uh, through my distribution. It, it tends not to me to cover cover a quarter, you know, as I think that's in other sectors and staples that doesn't happen. It's it's really buying your growth, right? So that that's different. Like that, it's you know that this acquisition, you know, it, it can it definitely supplements your growth because really, if you can go from low single digits to mid single digits, your your multiple you know goes you know from let's say twelve to seventeen times to something more like fifteen to twenty five times. So you can see why. If you can successfully sort of plug in these growth drivers and you don't want to, that's the thing is you don't want to buy something like Annie's if it's only going to grow one year. That's not what happens in Staples. You're, you're trying to buy this for a multi-year growth, like where it can sort of plug in to other categories for you, right? So, uh, you know, in Annie's maybe, you know, like so, so most brands, like they're going to do pizza that they might do, um, you know, lasagna is like they like keep expanding beyond just uh, spaghetti sauce, you know, and that's what works. Okay, so then based on what we've talked about so far, um, if we're sticking with this sort of like this food area, um, the um, what it what it what I what I would think to be long is I would think that I'd want to be long one of the top two operators who I think is just really 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 good. And they have the model down and it's not too expensive, but they accrete incremental. Like they, they're, you know, even if the top line only go grows 5%, they're putting up like over 10% earnings growth per year easily. And maybe I have a dividend or a buyback in place and I can just like steady Eddie that for like six or seven years and I get a, a market return or better than market return as number one. And the second thing I'd probably try to guess at you know, who is the next takeout? Who's the hot new thing that has to get bought and, you know, have a smaller amount of share like position there, but with like really potential more upside and also more risk, you know, if they, if they either grow really fast or they get taken out, um, a, does that sound right to you? And B like, if I'm trying to find my shorts there, like what's the inverse of all that? Is that like, do I short number three in the space, number four in the space? Like, what do I, how do I, how do I build that? Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actual ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Right. And so I, I, I feel like the um, in that Warren Buffett adage, like in consumer staples where a good management team is more important, important um, and the, the category also matters, right? So 
I would say that's a good starting place. Uh, I would I would insert um, competitive barriers to entry as, as being really important. So there are certain categories that you know, no matter how good of a management team you have, right? Like it it, it can't really overcome the the challenges within the space. So and then there are other sort of competitive sectors where that's going to be the inverse of that. So that that might be where you look at a short. So for example. You know, when you have inflationary pressures, you might have a different short thesis. And then I would look at, you know, there's some categories that are going to be more prone to competition and that competition, the one that matters more. So like there's always a battle between Coke and Pepsi, right? But what matters more is when private label gains share in your space, right? Then you don't have your pricing power, then you can have margin pressure and now you have earnings misses, right? You have top line that you could have misses on the top line. You could also have margin misses because you don't have pricing pressure and, and some categories just it's just the nature of of the category where it's harder to raise prices so for example if you look at like uh soda where you have you know you're generally you're buying that can or that 20 ounce bottle you know what it costs right it's the same size you can't sort of make your can go from 12 ounces to 10 right like a bag of chips you know the snacks the indulgences like candy they have very sort of low private label because that's not where where you're really looking to save money when you're buying this. You're you're buying it, you know, as sort of like a little bit of an indulgence, four dollars little snack, right? Like in, in those cases, it's a lot easier to pass on on pricing as opposed to something where it's always the same size and and there's nothing else to do. You you can't use like the term is shrinkflation, where you know you remove a couple uh, diapers from the package of diapers. Like no nobody remembers if it, you bought ninety six last time or ninety two, and now the prices change, and they're the same plus six. You can't, you know, the compute. The it sounds like the you know people get upset, but ultimately the consumer has always voted that they'd rather have it that way, and 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 really you're just comparing it to you know if you're looking at Pampers, you're comparing to Huggies, right? Like that's that's the thing. So it's it's much easier in certain categories, um, you know, indulgent categories. It's a little bit easier you know, categories where you don't know the exact size. So you know, a box of tissues, for example, you, you don't really know how many are supposed to be in there or the size of the tissue. You know, there are a lot of different ways you can manage those margins and, and people would rather you maybe remove a couple of tissues and keep the same price. You know, like I want $1.99. I don't want to pay more than that, you know, that price figure. So I know those matter as well. So no, no matter how good of a management team you are, when you're you know, trying to do that, it's going to be stuck. And so another example would be sort of commodities uh, industries where it's really hard to raise prices. Think, um, you know, a terrible category in, in consumer staples was milk or dairy, right? So they they might go around and then you talk about M&A, they would do acquisitions and try to grow that way and, and you know, maybe buy growth each year. But it's still a very difficult industry. You're tied to agriculture, which is not where you want to be, right? And then um, it's sort of difficult to, to pass on prices. It's difficult to have a, a, a premium you know, brand, you know, in dairy, you can't, you can't really think of national brands in dairy. It's those types of things that, that make it hard. And that those are, are more prone to, to where I would sort of think about shorts. And then, you know, if you're looking at shorts, what, what is sort of changing, right? So that, that one, you'd have sort of a, a whole list of companies that you'd rather short than long. And then what else is happening maybe in the macro environment that might, uh, you know, make it the timing on the short side, as opposed to, you know, like for example, in the, in the pandemic, when everyone shifted to at home eating versus away from home, gosh, everything was a long, right? Cause all, all the volumes are going up. What, 
that was a time where, you know, a dairy company would do better, right? Because now all of a sudden people, you know what I mean? So there's a timing for it on the short side, but you, there's uh, only so much a, a great management team can do in some categories. And and so I, I almost have a, a list of categories I, I just don't really like unless the conditions are right. And then there's categories where I like most of the time, as long as the conditions aren't wrong, let's just say uh, foreign currency. If, if, let's say, for example, they might be sourcing their ingredients from another country, right? So, you know, absent some of those, you know, one-time sort of issues, then, you know, go long though. So um, I, I think that's the one way to think about what the long and shorts. Awesome. So, so if I'm thinking about like in the shorts conversation we started with, you, know, you can be an amazing management team, but if the category can't hold price, right? This mm-hmm. is, and you mentioned Coke and Pepsi. Um, is that, are, are they, so, so basically in your mind, those are, you're sort of bearish on, on Coke and Pepsi, like generally speaking, can you help me understand the why, like what's the kind of like a general thesis, you know, for, for somebody to be bearish on Coke and Pepsi? Uh, so I, I wouldn't say I'm, I, I wouldn't put those in the, in the bad camp. Um, but you know, they, they do have sort of a, a bit of a headwind from not being in a, and this is a sort of a very long duration, like, you know, Carmony soft drinks, you know, Coke, but they're not gaining new customers, right? So that that's sort of a, you're doing it internationally, right? You're not doing it uh, domestically, right? Like there's, people aren't drinking, um, you know, cola more, right? Like they're drinking other drinks. So that, so are they transitioning to that, you know, that, that matters more, but, you know, in, in this case, Pepsi is much more international. Uh, Pepsi is, is, is really the 800 pound gorilla in snacks. So that's, that's really what's driving the investment thesis on both those two rather, I mean, of course you're, you're conscious of nobody is drinking more cola, but, um, that's, that's already sort of built into the model. The, the, the variances are, are, you know, international for Coke or, um, and then new product categories. And then for Pepsi, it's, that's snacking and also, um, new beverage categories that they're, they're growing into them. They have other, um, and you know, sort of some categories besides like colas. And they can't raise prices like Coke and Pepsi can't raise. I mean, I know they have diminishing unit demand, but like they can't raise price into that or. Oh, no, they definitely are raising prices. They, they've actually passed on prices quite well, uh, in, in this environment. So that, you know, we haven't really seen, uh, much of a shift to, um, private label. I, I didn't mean that in that case for those two, I was just sort of making an example, but right now they, they have very strong brands, right? Those are among this, the, you know, probably the most valuable brands we have in consumer. So yes, they can raise price, but yes, you do, you are, especially now seeing a unit offset to that as well. So right now the investment thesis for both is more about uh, margin recovery, you know, recapturing lost margins rather than, um, you know, raising the ability to raise price or not. Got it. Okay. And then you mentioned it, you can't have like a national, like milk, national dairy brand. Is that just like logistics of like getting things to places without, you know, uh, de- like refrigeration and all those kinds of things and all that? Or, Well, I, I think it's very complicated. Um, I think it's sort of by, by nature, uh, you know, there, there have been public companies. Dean Foods was one. Um, it, it didn't work out well. It, it's not like you... I don't want to say never. It's just why would you bother? I guess this is my point. And the, and the main maybe short response to that would be: you're not going to be able to beat the grocer's 
private or store label milk brand. Wow. So much, so much is purchased at the lower end that how how can you do a national brand? You have to charge a premium, but what are you associating with your national brand that's going to beat the Walmart price? People are just going to buy the Walmart price, and it's going to have much larger share. And then you know, where's your supply? So it get so you get what I'm saying, like that. Yeah, you're, you're just you go you're banging your head against the wall. Why why bother doing it? <laughs> okay, got it, got it. Okay, and maybe we could also like. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm really like actually very green in this area. What, what are the top five most important companies, or ten even, in the space? You mentioned Walmart. I'm assuming that's up there. But w- yes. So, like, if, I guess if if you wanted to take an example of of like key bellwethers, if that's what you're looking for, I would say Walmart. Of course, the largest grocer. Really, yeah. You really have to pay attention to what they're doing. Right, um, you know, like right now, for example, Walmart is is telling all their suppliers, "Don't raise price, don't even try." So you have to know what Walmart's doing, right? Um, and then maybe you would have to add like Procter and Gamble, you know, a, a leader in a lot of the household categories, the non-food categories. Well, I'd, I'd say that's that's up there. Um, you know, I, I'd throw in, you know, if you, I think Pepsi and Coke. If you just want to toss in one of them, let's just throw in. And Pepsi because it also has the food side, and, and they have one of the more dominant shares of snacking compared to, like they dominate um, snacking more than most companies can dominate a single subcategory. So that might give you uh, you know color into what's happening there. The various inputs they're also international, such that um, you know anything happening in, in in the world somehow Pepsi is affected, right? If you're looking at that. And then maybe I'd throw in also Mondelez. It's in the same sort of category, confectionery and snacks, but it's very international. You know, that was uh, Mondelez. It was spun out of, um, you know, craft, uh, you know, to, to, to spin out the higher growth, right? So you're thinking like emerging markets, right? Um, and, and their snacking brands, their chocolate brands that we're more, the Europeans are much more familiar with their brands. They have U.S. brands, but the, the, the brands are much more familiar with Europeans than, than U.S. brands. But I think that would give you a very good grasp for what's happening internationally. And that's, of course, you know, not of course, but um, there's higher growth rates for most of, you know, these brands internationally, uh, you know, than, than in the U.S., but not every company can do it, right? Like you, you need the, not every brand translates to different countries, right? So you, you already need to sort of be there and otherwise it takes big investments, but um, Mondelez has those types of brands. Um, and so that I guess I would cover those four. And then if you want to add in like alcohol and I'll skip tobacco, but if you want to add alcohol, I'd add, you know, AB InBev, you know, Budweiser, uh, you know, has, you know, all the, these beer brands and, and beer is, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a very good category, but you know, where blind is, is a, uh, sort of lower growth, but I think that would give you a pretty good, you know, feeling or, you know, the bellwethers of, of the category. And, um, awesome. Thank you. Um, the, if we were to include tobacco, by the way, do, do most people consider like tobacco still kind of like an active investment opportunity? Like, is that? I, I think here it, it's in the United States, the reason why I haven't spent as much time is I think uh, uh, someone with a legal background has more to offer for U.S. tobacco companies than, um, you know, a consumer product analyst. But all the growth is international as well. You know, in the U.S. here, 
you know, you're, you're also, you see these new competitive entrants and there's new sort of forms of tobacco consumption. So that's what seems to matter more. And, and, and sort of, uh, you know, between lawsuits and government uh, actions, that that's really what drives it, not the, the pricing versus unit, you know, the elasticity that's much more predictable than, uh, but so, so it's, it's a very different picture between the U S and an international. So all the, all the, so the excitement is international in the U S it's, I would say it's more about like the illegal side and then the dividend yield. I think a lot of U S investors own it just for the dividend yield, which as we know, you know, with the 10 year where it is, it's less appealing. Or when you, when you get into like valuation metrics for the space, are is dividend yield like kind of like an important one, or would you start more with? You mentioned earlier moving from twelve to seventeen times. I'm assuming you're talking about earnings to fifteen yes. five times. Is there any kind of and is it gap earnings or is it non gap earnings or like what is the? They use non non gap earnings, but you know there aren't really a lot of adjustments, right? You know. Um, you know, stock compensation isn't excluded from the non-GAAP earnings, right? <laughs> Not like tech. It's it's very, uh, you know, there are of course charges and stuff, but it, it's I think it's pretty clean. It's it's not a, nearly as hard um, because you're not writing down lines of inventory. You're generally not shutting down lines of production. It's it's pretty straightforward, I'd say. Um, so you know, as a former accountant, I, I can attest to. Um, I don't think the shenanigans shenanigans are are that high, right? Like they're not they're not new things here. You know, you're not doing a lot of readjustments. What they, what they tend to do is a lot of um, changing of segments. That's that's about it. But um, I, for, I forgot the first part of your question. No, it's okay. It's okay. That's good. Okay. I, I was asking about like the key valuation metrics. Oh, yeah. So the dividend yield, it, it, it matters because there is definitely a retail portion of investors in it, but I, I, I don't find that it's a very useful tool at all to predict you know future performance, but you can't ignore you know when the yield becomes high that the stock stops going down as long as you think they could pay for it. But the, you know, the dividend yields are, have been, you know, probably lower than you would think, um, you know, like compared to maybe some of the companies you thought you, you'd probably think an investor would need more than let's say 3% to be an attractive investment in some of my companies. Right. Um, but you know, that's, that's where it, it typically would, would have been, you know, pre pandemic. For a not very fast growing company, and for a fast growing company, it might be just one or two percent, probably a lot. And so you can see why that is not very appealing at all. Yeah, with interest rates where they are now. Yeah, with Philip Morris at six percent, and you're taking yeah. kind of like tail risk and all that. It doesn't. Yes, that exciting. You're right. And compare that to you know all these other you know whether it's REITs or utilities, you, you can see why it's not a very good tool. Hmm. It, it's it's really just supposed to add to. You know, if you, if you can get, let's say, low single digit top line growth plus some margin expansion, and then redeployment of capital, uh, you know, so you're getting like let's say high single digits to low double digits, you know, you know EPS growth, and then then if you could add a dividend yield, so you're looking at 12, 13 percent. That's that's sort of maybe the 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 standard attempt. They're a growth formula, you know, attempt and a growth formula. Not everyone can do it, right? But that I think would be considered, you know, a like a B, you know, growth company, B and B plus, uh, you know, of course, if you have higher growth, you're not going to have that dividend yield, but that, that's what I think a, a bunch of companies aspire to. And, you know, it, that, that might not be all that exciting to a lot of other people, but I'll tell you, you know, I've covered a consumer for what, you know, over 20 years, everyone starts off 
indiscretionary just because it's so much more, the growth rates are so much higher. It's more dynamic. You have much bigger winners and losers. But you know, over time, when you get more gray hairs on me, you, you tend to appreciate, oh, this the company missed and it's only down 3%. You, know, you tend to appreciate those mornings as opposed to, oh, the company missed, it is down 40%. Right. right. So that's, that's the difference in consumer staples. So I, I, would, I think you tend to find, and I have a hedge fund background, is that hedge funds are not as active in consumer staples. They're much more indiscretionary. And then the, you know, the, the bigger long only funds tend to be very large shareholders in consumer staples because you can put a lot of capital work. These are much larger companies in general than like Brian's discretionary companies. Like if you just look at my list and just listed them, you know, my companies tend to be several times larger. Uh, you know, like a let's just pick a middle of the list. My company's probably gonna be, you know, three to five times larger than his middle of the list company. You know, like he tends to be dominated discretion tends to be dominated by a couple very large companies. And then, you know, after Home Depot and and Nike, they get the market caps get kind of small, but even you know not so large companies and consumer staples can be um, you know ten billion. You'd, you'd be surprised by the size of uh, some of the companies in, in, in consumer staples that you can make something so large out of um, you know just a small category. But that that's that's stability. That's your that's your consumer staple sign, you know. Uh, and I think that's appealing to people. So, like one one, I'll give you an example. One of my top picks right now is Lamb West and ticker LW. It sells French fries, which is basically an industry dominated by four players, really just two players. And it's a $12 billion company and it just sells French fries. Well, you never heard of it, probably. French fries to the grocery chains. Uh, as, well, they do, but it's much larger into the restaurants. So, oh, no, that's fine. got it, got it. Okay, so these dominate so, restaurant franchise, uh, restaurant yes. French fries. Got it. Yes, and uh, you know, twelve billion dollars for a French fry company that you've never heard of is, is, you know, my point. Like, it's it can be quite large, and you know that that stability is is you know, you can put a lot more capital to work, right? Than you can, yeah. um, like, if you're a big fund, and and let's say, you know, you know, discretionary, you have a new, you know, fashionable widget. Well. How big is that going to get? You know, even if it does great, right? You can't put that much capital work. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Agile. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high conviction, long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe and tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. But when I... I want to ask, maybe I, I want to ask that, like, I want to take what you just said and maybe turn it upside down for a second. Because Anheuser, Anheuser-Busch, I realized in 2023, they you know, stepped on their own toes. And for those who missed it, we actually had Dan on earlier this year where we talked about Beer Wars, the title of the 
uh, podcast with Beer Wars earlier this year. So if you want to understand a little bit deeper about what's going on there currently, uh, please go access that podcast. But I guess my question for this, for this, for today is that Budweiser's stock basically peaked in 2016, right? So the 2023 problems were not even a glint in their own eyes. And it uh, has descended, I mean, almost it's in half, actually it's more than in half now, but like even before the problems that we have, and even like, you know, by February of 2022, um, sorry, they had descended, you know, more than half of their market cap. And that's a decent amount of, sorry, that's a decent amount of volatility for like a mega cap consumer staples where people put like a lot of capital, like you said, at play. So I guess my question is, how do you think about, and then I'm looking, by the way, at, at you said the caffeine drinks are doing really well, and I'm looking at Monster, and that's been a Monster stock, but it's also a really big market gap. Like, yep. point do you start to like say like, what are the signals that Monster MNST would show you that it's now copying what happened with Budweiser or whatever saturation or why did Budweiser go down so much since 2015, 16? Um, and how do you, how do you take that and be like, okay, I'm going to go look for the next one. That's going to do that. Okay. So, uh, I think in the Budweiser case, let's just exclude the pandemic. Cause that's sort of an unusual, yeah. Yeah. you know, and you understand there's a different challenge, but before that, I, I take you to, uh, ABM Bev really it was a th- you know a three G company you know the Brazilian private equity firm that, that they sort of um, they implemented what, what was it what's it called um, zero based budgeting so okay. what they they went after so that's that's a whole thing that that's where ABM Bev comes from so that the zero based budgeting you know it was created quite a firestorm in, in consumer staples where they you would go buy companies that you considered fat and you would cut out um, excess. So, you know, so that, that made a lot of sense early on. You can get some returns. So if you think about um, Budweiser, you know, this was a company that really dominated US beer like anything else, right? It had one of the highest shares in, in their respective category as sort of any consumer brand out there. Less than a handful of companies dominated their category, like Budweiser dominated beer. Um, you know, like Nike dominated shoes. That's one of the other ones. For example, that's how, that's how few companies were like this. And there's sort of an aberration because of antitrust laws, right? But so there was a very fat company. It was so fat that you know the family run the CEO. You know, in, in the fa- the family name, uh, he would take a helicopter and land on their building in St. Louis, right? They had, uh, you know, cherry paneled offices. You can just imagine how gorgeous their offices must look. They, you know, they, they must've had, I don't know, I'm just making it up, but like 20, 20 box office seats, uh, um, you know, boxes, uh, you know, at the Cardinals games, right? Like they, they were just, um, really a fat organization. And that's what, um, this Brazilian, uh, company, you know, targeted and they zero based budgeting. They don't say, Hey, your marketing budget was, you know, a billion dollars. Let's take it down 10%. They start with what do you need? So if you only need, let's say a hundred million, you can only make a case 
you know, the most American, you know, companies tend to be, you know, the variants from last year, right? This that tends to be the starting place. So the 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 three G really instituted the opposite approach, and you know, it had a, a ripple effect, you know, throughout you know my industry for a good decade until you know at some point it does last because you know that's where your innovation comes from. You know, you can't cut all this stat without cutting into your muscle, right? And that's what happened. And that's what happened to Kraft Heinz. That's they were there as well. So that that's what they were doing to a Budweiser. So I'll, I'll give you an example um, in beer. Um, if you're if you're real hop head, you, you would know that IBUs, internal bitter unit, is a sort of a, a measure of how much uh, your hop content, your bitterness content in your beer, and hops are really the flavor in the beer, right? It, it's, that's that's one of the key ingredients that that changes the flavor. But two thirds of the cost of beer is your packaging and your transportation. So think your your glass bottle and you know all of the trucking fuel, et cetera, to get it to your uh, grocery store. Right, that's two thirds of the cost. So hops are you know relatively small percentage of that. Think of all the the factory overhead. Think you know water marketing, all that stuff. The hops are really a small smidgen. But it is the taste you know for your beer. And what they kept doing was every year they would ratchet down the IBUs from, I'm going to make it up, but from 20 to 19 to 18 to 17. So you ended up with a very bland tasting beer after a decade of this zero-based budgeting. And and it doesn't make your quarter because that's not where the cost comes from. You'd do a lot better if you could figure out how to stick more bottles into the same truck, right? Or or reduce your route by you know two blocks would have made more of a difference than your your hops. But when you come at it only with the cost savings things, you know the consumer doesn't know. Any year you wouldn't have known last year if you tried the Budweiser from two years, you wouldn't have known. But over time, and if you try something new like a craft beer, you're like, wow, there is flavor. I've been missing flavor, right? right? So like you don't know it year to year. No one in the office could tell like, oh, I fooled the consumer. But when you're presented with a competitive product. There, that's when the craft beer started coming in. Like they, and this also was already in place before 3G got there. But 3G sort of accelerated this push. You know, Budweiser was already doing this. But uh, you you can see why you know the, the barriers to entry. It you know in, in beer, you know are are high at the the low prices, right? Like it's hard. You, no one can deliver a beer for cheaper than Budweiser. But you know. If you looked at Sam, if you looked at the you know Boston beer, you know they're sort of the the first big craft brewer. If you pull up that stock chart for you know twenty years, you can see that that's a great that's what I look for in consumer staples, right? So something where you you had this huge tailwind of better tasting product that everyone knows so well, beer, and you know this was the representative of the category and how long that run rate was. So that that you know if you if, for example, if you bought that, uh, you know, when I, the year I graduated high school, all the way up until let's just say pre-pandemic, you know, I, I don't know what would you make fifty times your money or something like that over twenty years. For Sam Adams, you mean? On Sam yeah. Adams. What's the ticker on Sam Adams? Is that Boston? Sam. Yes, Boston Beer Company. Uh, and then when something happened, like the COVID, this totally destroyed this. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah we'll we'll leave that part out. Remember, I was short it because of the hard seltzer. But if we just look at that sort of like that's what I'm talking about in terms of um, you can yeah. you could have just owned Sam right uh, Boston beer, 
for that whole time, just on that one premise of craft beer taking share from these domestic brewers, right? So that that's kind of what I look for. I think energy drinks are somewhere in the middle innings of something similar to that, right? Where what you're doing is you're converting children who drink soda, who have yet to drink, you know, it's a new generation, this younger generation, they're, they, they're, they're, they've been raised in Starbucks without drinking Starbucks coffee, right? They're not ordering drip coffee at Starbucks. They're drinking these frappuccinos laden with sugar and, and, and other creams. You can't even identify the coffee taste in it, right? Like that's, uh, so they've been raised on that. You're, you're converting them from a soda drinker to an energy drinker. Energy, so they're never drinking uh, coffee and you're, and that's how they're getting their caffeine. And by the way, our, the way our, you know, society is the generations are working some more caffeine. Caffeine is, you know, how we operate in the digital world. It's, it's harder and harder to, um, you know, to live in this fast paced environment without little, uh, chemical help. Right. Like if you, I, I liken it to, you know, when I started in the business, I didn't have, uh, I had a pager, right. I didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have, uh, smartphones. I didn't know what was happening in the world until I got into my office and sat at my desk, right? I had no idea. Maybe I turned CNBC on when I woke up, but there's that whole commute where I had no idea what was going on, right? So like I have like, you know, at least an hour of just waking up, right? Mentally. Now, Yost has to respond to Ami's emails the second he wakes up, right? He, other he, way around. Uh, other way around. <laughs> But Ami needs this caffeine to uh, operate in this environment. You know, you, you need to be on like your iPhone's on. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it interesting and intense and and just like this is just a side question but like are like those caffeine drinks much worse for you than soda like in the end like we're just replacing one bad thing with something much worse well i i i don't i'm not professing to be a medical advisor for anybody but i think caffeine hasn't had you know i think there's a lot of movement you know in a lot of different health ways like if you are on social media there's someone who tells you everything I do is bad for me, but I, caffeine hasn't had the pushback, uh, you know, health wise that a lot of other, um, you know, you think of the four big chemicals and consumer staples, it's, it's nicotine, it's alcohol, it's caffeine and it's, um, cannabis, right? So four legalized drugs that, you know, what makes them so great, they're addictive, uh, you know, that, let's say, some cases just maybe mildly addictive, not like a real chemical dependence, but you know, uh, those make great repeatable businesses, right? So caffeine is one where it's not frowned upon like alcohol and tobacco, right? But, uh, and it's not nearly as hard to get off, right? But it's still, it's a habitual for sure, right? Um, you know, if you ask any coffee drinkers, it's, it's an habitual 
practice and that makes for a great consumer staple. So, okay. So this is like a very good, like I want to stay with monster for another second here. Um, so like if I know the stock is 50 bucks, right? It's been as high as 60. If I want to get comfort with the fact that I think this is going to call it 250 over the next 10 years, let's say, right. That, that I'll look back and continue to see that chart the next 10 years. Uh, like for me, I would have to figure out like some level, like you said, you pointed to middle innings. How do you get that comfort? Is that revenue related to peak in-bed revenue? Is it is it um, percentage of people buying? Is it unit sales versus like, you know, versus, I don't know, total Walmart soda sales? Like, how do you measure what's the penetration curve? And how would you kind of think about where saturation is? Like, what number would you have to see that would make you have to take a step back and be like, ooh, Ooh, I don't know about that. That might be, it might be getting towards the later innings of this. Right. So yes, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, that's something that obviously really factors in, you know, that that's where we came out different for the alcoholic seltzers, for example. Um, you know, what, what is that TAM? So for monster, a big reason why that TAM is just so much larger is not just domestic, it's international, right? So the penetration rates in, in international markets, and they, they give it to us you know, by various countries is much uh, smaller internationally. And, you know, the U.S. isn't even as high as some countries are. You know, Red Bull is actually a very big competitor, uh, much more dominant share in, in Europe too. But it gives you an idea, you know, what that unit penetration can be. So it's a little harder. It's a little harder to know. And I, I don't, I can't give you an example, a, a hard number of like, we are going to get to, let's say, you know, one energy drink per um, American, right? I, I can't give you that number, but that that pie, that TAM, and even in the United States, continues to grow larger. And 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 part of that is is form factor. So, um, you know, you're you're thinking like that that typical you know can that you're getting at a Seven Eleven for an energy drink. You think it's pretty penetrated, but it's also that customer who's getting it. You know, when they're 16, 17 at 7-Eleven, continues to to do that at age 30, right? Yeah. So you're you're converting them at a at a younger age and you're keeping them, right? They're 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 just not changing like our generation Ami of of at some point stopping to drink Pepsi all the time and going to coffee. Uh, the younger the younger generation increasingly is, is just staying on these energy drinks, but then there's different uh, types of flavors or form factors. And what I mean by that is uh, you know, it could be a coffee based instead of just a, a, a sort of a soda flavoring, or it could be uh, zero sugar. So that's that's a new big sort of growth opportunity for them. As you know, a lot of you know for health reasons, uh, you know, you were asking about health reasons, but uh, you know, not having sugar in in there opens that market to a whole new market, right? Like I am not interested in. Uh, I've been there, done that in, in twenty ounces of a uh, pure sugar drink, right? But uh, you know, zero sugar and and has a lot more you know different flavor. There's I think day parts for that. So I think that's that's also what we're seeing, and that's why we're seeing even in in consumers of energy drinks, you're seeing it continue to go up in terms of day parts because if you think like coffee, you know, the vast majority of coffee is consumed in the morning, and then much smaller than smaller than you think percent of people drink maybe another coffee throughout the day. 
but energy drinks are not really by day part like that. There's a lot consumed late at night. We all know the the nightclubs Omni's going to with the Red Bull and vodka drinks, right? So <laughs> I'm joking, but um, you can see that that's so the, the day parts gives you um, you know an increasing TAM as well. So we haven't every year we see that energy drink uh, TAM grow larger, and that's that's part of the the thinking. But you know I've, I've done some estimates you know back of the envelope, but I think it'd be wrong to 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 stop and and draw that. And pen, like it, it, every year, you know, if you ask anyone ten years ago, that, that we would have already exceeded the TAM. So I, I think you have to, yeah, you know, keep a uh, keep that openness to your to the model. Yeah. And, and, and and it seems like the comparison to Bud is not a good one because Bud. What happened with Bud is they were so focused on costs that they missed the inflection to flavor, or they kind of basically ruined their beer, and then the flavor opportunity took over. A lot of market share, which started them going backwards in the first place. Whereas in the case of the energy drinks, it sounds like there's nothing today that is imminently disrupting energy drinks on people's shell on the grocery or Seven Eleven shelves or whatever where the kids buy it. Yeah, and then yes, I agree on the the category energy drinks. You know, you have you know Celsius, which is also on my long list as maybe a little bit of a, a share gainer at the expense of everyone else, but the category itself is the disruptor to, I would say, you know, soft drinks. So, so you're, you're, you know, you're getting, you know, 150, 200 milligrams of caffeine. When, when I was growing up, Mountain Dew was considered crazy because it had 50, right? Yeah. And so that, that alone is going to give you a better kick. So once you, you, you convert from, you know, Coke to Mountain Dew and the Mountain Dew to to energy drink, you're not going back. Just that's the whole reason why people went from regular coffee to Starbucks, right? The Starbucks has, you know, triple the amount of caffeine as as the the Folgers and uh, you know that my parents were drinking, right? So uh, you're not going to get that same caffeine benefit, right? So that so caffeine is a special element of this, but and then and then you know health reasons, younger generations are drinking less beer. They're also drinking less, uh, different types. Uh, not only just craft beer is actually probably peaked in terms of penetration, but we're, you're seeing a whole new burgeoning category and, and, you know, different types of, uh, spirit based drinks, you know, different, so the different flavor profiles, there's generational that. So I, I do pay attention, you know, on a multi-year duration to things like Neil Howe would point out in terms of generations, right? How, how is the young, and then believe me, and you know, this, that the, the companies are paying attention to, how is the youngest generation, you know, adopting our brands, right? Are they adopting them in the same way? And, and in lots of cases, they're not like, it, and you might not even notice this, but you probably, probably would if I mentioned it, but like the youngest generations, you know, they, they've grown up with the foods that you've been eating. So they're much more flavor forward, right? They're, they're much more willing to try different flavors. And that's why you see so much innovation uh, in, in flavors compared to, to us, right? So like, I remember when I was growing up, the big innovation for Pepsi was one of them was clear soda, right? <laughs> like, I mean, now it's, uh, you know, you can, you should see all the different types of uh, flavors they have for Pepsi, right? So um, you have to pay attention to that. And so beer happens to be, you know, the shared donor. I, I, I liken it to a leaky bucket, right? It's got a lot of holes. People are leaving the category every year. There's sort of no stopping it. You're going to be like that, uh, the boy in the story sticking his fingers in the dam. That's that's what you're doing in beer uh, and energy drinks. You know you're 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 betting on so many dr- secular drivers 
of of the form of caffeine. Um, you you have your the wind at your back. It's easy to to make mistakes when you when when you have time on your side. Awesome. Um, gosh, we didn't even touch on all the stuff in the like Procter and Gamble area, like outside of food and all those trends. Um, I'm sure there's stuff like shampoo. I don't even know, but like I imagined in medicine and shampoo and whatever, like there's probably a lot of interesting things there. Um, but we're out of time today. Um, we might have to have you come back on soon. Uh, this was a fantastic intro and believe it or not, it actually makes me want to invest in consumer staples and like go like think about these things and read and do research and like think about it's just it seems it does seem like there are these long tail trends that gives you that give you your shorts and your longs you know like and i think that's i don't know it's kind of interesting to me it is and and it's, and it's uh brands that are tangible that you know well you know it's um you can eat it yourself you know you can see it yourself how it's there and um it's rare that things happen overnight, like Bud Light. Like that's that's really rare. So companies are are um, they're they're moving in some ways in, in slower motion. You know these trends are playing out in a much slower motion. Like you just can't accelerate energy drinks all at once, like you can, let's say, uh, with a new issue, right? Like everyone can wear new type of shoe in two years, right? But you're just not going to get these types of trends in food. Just like think of like what you're eating, like sushi. How long did sushi take to be sort of adopted right it, it, these things take time and so that time's on the side of uh, a good consumer staples long uh, awesome uh daniel thank you so much for coming on the show uh to all our listeners this has been season three episode 19 of unscripted equity curiosity a hedge podcast that is freely available to you as you know since you're listening to the end of this available on apple or spotify uh, and always available on my uh, Twitter account, my X account at Hedgeye Tech is where we post these um, on Saturday, usually on Saturday mornings. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws as intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.